Hey you lucky libertarians, it's another exciting episode of the Scottish Liberty Podcast with me, Tom Laird, and my co-host, the Madcap Ancap, Anthony Samaroff. Today on the show we have a special guest, as usual, we always like to spoil with special guests. We have two for the price of one, we have two Samaroffs, they are plural, <laughs> and if you'd like to introduce our guest, Anthony. This is my dad, Lawrence Samaroff, esteemed master of the plaster first aid kit world what how, how surgical dressings how would you describe your your business today well as far as i remember i was always plastered okay. <laughs> but uh, seriously my dad started a business in 1939 uh, engaged in the manufacture of first aid dressings and first aid kits the plaster master plaster master okay uh, and uh, some trepidation here. I've always the, the, there's an old saying that wherever you get two Jews, you get three opinions. So it could be a, a really interesting one today. But the, the theme of our show today is: What's it like doing business in a communist country? What's it like for a Western businessman to conduct business in a country that's completely closed off and suspicious of uh, of Westerners? And uh, Anthony's dad is going to school us on that today because he done that very thing back uh, in the days just after the death of Mao Zedong. Yes, uh, my dad is particularly unique in this respect because his business was one of the first to, is that not right, one of the first to start going into China when it opened its borders to foreign capital. And so you got a unique insight into what that was like, but also you managed to see uh, a whole bunch of changes happen over the course of three decades or more. Uh, is that right? Well, it's almost all correctly, but really this was prior. I was out there prior to them introducing any foreign capital. When I first went there, there was no way you could introduce foreign capital. Right. I can expand on that if you like. Yes, please okay, do. Please do. Well... Long before the times of computer, when you could now go online with Alibaba or Made in China or other similar sites and find manufacturing sources, I used to go into the library and pore over various uh, books and compendiums of manufacturers. I'd been doing business in India in that particular way for a number of years, and we finally found a source in China that could produce adhesive tapes for hospitals Wow! Um, and we started importing these things they came in from China and at that time there was no private industry All, the entire China was run by so-called SOPs state-owned enterprises and okay. they all ran to strict government uh, regulations regarding pricing etc so you couldn't negotiate a price. But having said that, we had started. Uh, we won a contract with the UK hospitals for adhesive tapes, and uh, we started importing these. But they came in very ornate uh, tubular containers, okay. uh, very very decorative, uh, full of Chinese characters and what have you. And we were selling into the UK hospitals, who at that time I think would have been skeptical about the quality. Yeah, but, but the quality was absolutely excellent. Okay. Mm. So we used to take them out these ornate containers, put them in white pla white cardboard boxes, put a descriptive label on them, and ship them out to the hospitals all over the country, and they went down extremely well. Okay. And were these were these of tapes? Were they something that the Chinese had developed, or was that a vestige of the of the colonial? Uh, you, I think you're absolutely right. I think this particular factory, which I'll go on and tell you about, was probably started with Western uh, technology. Okay. But there was during the years of the Cultural Revolution, virtually no outsiders were allowed in the country. But somewhere or other, they probably carried on that factory to supply the needs of China. And then, of course, when they wanted to bring in foreign currency, they wanted to export these to various countries. Right. Okay. Do so, you have, sorry, do, do, just quickly, do you have, uh, you don't happen to have somewhere uh, any of these ornate containers that they, they arrived in? Do you? <laughs> well, this is, go this is going back to around about uh, 
It was well under freezing. Really? The, the women were trying to work with mittens with their with their fingers, all with chilblains, trying to, to operate. They probably couldn't afford to run yeah. heating. So when we viewed the factory and were taken into the meeting room, and in China, when you go into a meeting room, everybody comes in like flies to get on the scene. Right. Every Tom, Dick and Harry around the table, yeah. including the factory manager. Okay. None of them spoke English. Okay. So our hosts had to act as interpreters. Okay. So we, they asked us how we liked the factory and what have you. And they were actually holding the Chinese tea from blowing away the tea leaves from the top, but mainly to keep the thing, their hands warm. Right. I mean, that was wonderful for them to get their hands on a hot cup of tea. Uh, and uh, we we gave them very nice compliments about the factory. Any uh, anything else to say? Yes. Now coming on to your point, I said to them, um, we get these things in lovely ornate boxes. It's very very nice. But could we, we explained to them what we used to do with them? Could you not possibly get plain white boxes? Not expensive. We don't want any reduction in price. Put them in with a little. Label in English, ship them to us that way. Okay. And they looked at us as if we were absolutely nuts. Right. And they said, no, this is the way it is. In, okay. in, in terms, right. that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it's got to be. And I subsequently found out that that was due with every commodity in China. Okay. There was no private label, no making up for Sainsbury's or Asda or any other company. Right. You have to take it. One size at, fits all. As it was. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm interested in the contradiction between these being sent to you in these ornate, traditionally Chinese boxes yeah. and the homogenization of individuals as all having the same haircut. I mean, was one to try and strip away people's identity, but then on the other hand, there's this impulse to show Chinese China's mark on the world or their unique culture. I, I think you're, the latter part, again, I'll come on to, I think it's a very salient point. But I think it was largely because he didn't know any different. I mean, it's been closed for such a long time. He didn't know about outside markets, about right. the, the advantages of doing this or that. And anyway, it was all controlled by the government. Mm. The government says, do this, you have to do this. We went from a, a similar factory in Shanghai to Hubei, uh, different provinces, and they had their own facts with similar factories. The products would be maybe variation between the products, but the prices were always all right. the same. Century so, so this is the thing. And so w when you were doing business, say here, if you you might manufacture the same product, but you would customize it, say for boots. Or for Asda, yeah. you might be sending the same thing, but you would put a different label on it depending who yeah, you are. Yeah, so we, we subsequently got into that sort of business. At that time, we're supplying mainly into hospitals, but subsequently, right. if we had been doing business uh, with, with retailers that wanted their own branding, it would have been impossible. Right. We'd, yeah. had, to, we'd had to get the things in bulk and package them here. Okay. What, what sort of inspired you to, to look at that market? I mean, you'd think. For a lot of people, they would say, well, you know, that's, that's a dead market. There's nothing happening there. Um, let's not even, let's not even bother. What was it in you that made you go, well, there's look, there's, just because of that, you know, one way, some, one way somebody will look at something and say, well, look, all these people don't have, don't wear shoes. Uh, therefore, let's not bother trying to sell them shoes. Whereas somebody else would look at it and go, that's a perfect market and opportunity. They don't wear shoes. Let's, they need them. Let's sell them. So, what, what what was it that made you see the opportunity there? Uh, in one only one word. Okay. Well, quality of course, but price. Okay. I mean, oh. we were able to buy a price, even allowing for a packaging, which which gave us a very very healthy margin. Right. Because we were not physically managing packaging ourselves. Yeah. We had to deal with big nationally known companies and big buying power. And unless we could buy cleverly, my late father used to say, "If you cannot buy right, you cannot sell right." Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Wise words. And, you know, with the pricing structure coming from the central planners, it would be really quite impossible for the Chinese to determine whether they were getting a good deal or not. I mean, exactly. making selling this in an ornate box would be surely more expensive 
than doing it in a generic a fashion. Absolutely. They could spend those resources on something more necessary, like, I don't know, electricity, so that the people would... For, they they have, for example. But because the prices were centrally planned, they couldn't tell how to allocate resources efficiently. No concept of that. Right. But anyway, to move... Can I fast forward a little sure. bit? I'll miss out some little bits in between, but take us to the very last evening we were there, and we were invited, and we were told we were extremely privileged to go to a, a banquet organised by the CEO of that particular organisation. Okay. Uh, and we were taken to this other hotel, which I was talking about, called the Shanghai Mansions. It was so cold, they had to give us coats. We weren't prepared for the weather. We walked over there in the snow and what have you. We got to this other place. It was heated, I have to say, to somewhat. And okay. taken in the first time I had seen, and I've seen hundreds more, thousands more, of going into a room with a lazy Susan. Right. You know, a, a circular table that spins. And again, everybody comes out. And you're, it's important. You're, where you sit is really important in China. Right. You had to sit the CEO. My father had to be next to him. I had to be sitting next to the factory manager who they brought there and my interpreter host and they will seat you in the place. Okay. And I see the dishes come, as you say it's better not to ask. I'll tell you about one of them shortly. I wanted to stay on the subject of plasters. Okay. Uh so the factory manager each person gets up and says a toast in China. They have this Chinese rice wine that they call Baijo. I call it paint stripper. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what the proof is, but you better not ask. Right, okay. So the the, the, the chairman, first of all, the CEO would get up, spoken Chinese, something like, well, welcome our host all the way from the UK. And uh, we, my interpreter, these guys here, enjoyed meeting with you. And you went to the factory and oh, blah, blah, blah. Gambe is the first word I ever learned in Chinese. Okay. Gambe is, is our kind of bottom up. Okay. So Gambi, down in a bunner, and you, you're a bunch of hole in your stomach. Right. And then they're more or less pointing at you, uh, and I had to get up and compliment them in a similar fashion, Gambi. Okay. I was looking for the plant pot, by the way, to <laughs> shut them out by that time. But anyway, so various courses come up, and uh, talking about your, your food, mm. that one came, and they will pick the, they will the chopsticks, they will pick the best part of that particular animal or what okay. have you, the cheek of a fish, I think, put it on the on the guest's plate and right. Right. we didn't know what, what, what was going on there. What what the, what were we eating? <laughs> so one dish came to my the guy puts it on my plate and it was round and greyish, brownish colour. And I took a bite out of this and I didn't like it. Right, okay. Uh, and I, I Chinese can you can lose face very easily. Thank you. So I didn't Suddenly the rice wine was looking like a good option. Absolutely. So I said, <laughs> I said to the my interpreter, what is this? He said, oh, this is a very good speciality. He says, you know the little bird called Sparrow? Oh, I said, hmm. yes, I know about Sparrow. He says, when Sparrow hatchy hatchy, we go choppy choppy. <laughs> and you look down there and you see this little thing and you can just make out the beak. Right. They probably just deep fry it or something after right. that. And yeah. <laughs> uh, deep fried, deep fried, <laughs> splatted, uh, Anyhow, fledgling. The yeah. main part of the story is that when we complimented, uh, we, we exchanged drinks with the factory manager, of course, and suddenly he banged his fist on the table. Every turns round and looks at him and he started spouting out and the guy was, and, and, my interpreter was dumbfounded, I have to say. He said, the factory manager enjoyed your visit so much, your first visit by a distinguished guest since the Cultural Revolution, uh, and uh, we enjoyed this evening with you and all the little yeah. conversation. He has decided that he's going to pack the goods exactly as you want. It was unheard of in China. They're all looking like he's crazy. Right. Uh, uh, he said, but just one thing, just one thing, you have to pay a little bit more money. So I, I, I said to them, go tell him, 
but they don't mind this, but I find it rather difficult to understand because these ornate boxes are extremely expensive. Yeah. I'm talking about just a, a plain cardboard box. He said, talking back to you, but they lose the honour of the factory. They right. lose the honour of the factory right. by not presenting it. No mind that we were taking these and throwing them away. Right. They wanted compensation for okay. that. It took two years, but I believe we were the first ever company importing from China, certainly in our field, to break the mold of you get it exactly as it is. Okay. And was there any and on the other side, on the British side, was there any problems or restrictions in terms of uh, import? No, they, they, they had an arrangement with uh, long before the European Union. <laughs> right, um, yeah. I mean, they had an arrangement with China that certain goods you're allowed to bring entire free. Right, and this was medical stuff, so yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Just for our American listeners or watchers, just that a plaster would be a band aid in your language, just, uh, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. and you'll be familiar with medical tapes, which we were yeah. at that time. Uh, we were getting from China. So that the medical tape that the so your big customer then would be the NHS for that. That time was the the, the, the NHS the, the various. You've got up a tender that was broken into various regions. You would have Yorkshire purchasing, you would have right. you know, the London hospitals, the Scottish hospitals. We didn't win them all. We, we, we submitted when these tenders, annual tenders came out, when we used to put in the prices for the tapes, right. and we'd be once several contracts. And previously to that, then your main supplier was India? Uh, for these, it was India, and we, we, we made some. Home production in a, in a wonderful way as well. Okay, and was the, was the quality of the Chinese tape superior in every way? Or? I would say it was absolutely excellent in okay. terms of quality. So, and but where were they getting the raw material for? for I mean, how? That's a very interesting. Well, first of all, the the, the fabric on, on which it's spread is cotton, so China right. is a huge yeah. cotton producer. Where they got the adhesives? Probably they were sourcing these. They found. If it was run by either an American or a European company prior, pre-war or certainly prior Cultural Revolution, they they probably sourced uh, raw materials. Okay. Anthony. Okay. So moving on to to you continue to do business in China. In fact, you still do in a consulting capacity to this day. But um. Take take us forward a bit. Let's hear about the changes you saw begin to happen in China over the eighties. What yeah. did you What did you see as you visited there? First of, time? first of all, I have to tell you that every time I went back, there was a change. Even if it was six months later, I was thinking, "Am I still in the same right. city?" Uh, because the changes were so uh, rapid. I told you about the people staring at me mm. when the first time. A year after that, the shock, it, meant, it meant nothing. That's yeah. wow. within, within a year. Okay. And uh, and then I travelled around various different places in China and various primitive airlines and, yeah. <laughs> and what have you, but I'm still here to tell the tale. Okay. And uh, I saw things. And, uh, as I told you, all bicycles, hardly any uh, motor, yeah. uh, motor cars. And then I saw the progression after a few years. It was a great thing to 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 actually drive a motorized bicycle. Sure. Just a simple motorized then yeah. a motorbike and now you can't okay. do there for cars. And was there much in the way of uh, construction going on when you first arrived there? When I first arrived there, no, but within a year or two buildings are at one time in China, probably around about the the mid nineties, they say that over sixty percent of these huge cranes that they used to construct high rises based in Greater Shanghai. Right. Okay. When I look when we looked opposite from our hotel on the famous Bund, the skyline of uh, of uh, Shanghai, which mm-hmm. is built of kind of Victoriana, beautiful buildings. Yeah. Uh, the opposite side was Greenfields. Now it's known what is called Pudong, which is a, which is like New York. Right. So the highest buildings in the world apart from the one in Dubai. And it's just packed with skyscrapers. Right. And this happened over an incredibly short space of time. Before you knew it, they were throwing bridges over over the uh, the river in Shanghai to join up 
Pudong with the other side of uh, Shanghai, which is known as Pushi. Okay. Um, and they even, they've even got one bridge that goes, uh, sorry, a tunnel that goes underneath okay. with about a sandwich tunnel. They've got about six, uh, six to eight lanes going in one direction and underneath six to eight lanes going in the other Unbelievable. direction. Unbelievable. Okay. And how did your how did your Chinese language progress over this time? Uh, very, I have to say very little, apart okay. from Gambi and a few other words, okay. uh, because the Chinese got to know very very quickly if you wanted to do international business, they had to learn English. Mm-hmm. And as other, and eventually, I can tell you about the start when they eventually allowed some private industry in the beginning to come in. They they made sure that these companies employed. The, the, for the sales department, if you wanted to do export business, you had to employ English speaking people. Okay. And that still happens to this yeah. day. Yeah. Right. And, and was the thrust of the market at that time, Chinese wise, was it mainly China exporting out, or was there were there any Western companies that were actually bringing goods into China? Well, we were for starters, but yeah. very, very few. Nowadays, everybody's in from China. Yeah. Uh, mm. but, but, but we were pioneers to. There might have been other, there are people, I think, in the textile industry, when we went to the main office on our first visit, we didn't actually go into an office, it was a building with, I would say, like screens around it. So while we were discussing our business, behind the screens, a terrible noise, right. people babbling away, talking about textiles, yeah. talking about clothing and fabrics and what have you. So I think people, as soon as China opened up, the our business was a small beer compared to Importing clothing and textiles. Of sure. Course. So there were other people importing from China, of course. Yeah. And but through time, I mean, imagine when you first arrived in China, the 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 criteria there'd be a lot of restrictions on you in terms of movement and where you could go on yes. your own and unsupervised. Did that ease off through time, or was it? Oh, all? Of, of course. Well, yeah. I mean, when I wanted to go a place, um, the set me to fly somewhere. I had to go with my host. Yeah. And they had to buy the ticket. And even if you had an airline ticket, we bought some tickets from the UK. They said these tickets were paid for them. We had to go to an office and get these tickets endorsed. Right. And the queues of people, was, there was no computerized booking, of course. Okay. You had to push away the front stamp our, our, our airline ticket. Okay. <laughs> so traveling was really really difficult yeah and i take it it was almost impossible to get off the beaten track and, 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 and uh, i would have been a bit wary of doing right. anything okay because my father came once or twice but i was i mostly traveled by myself right and i would have been wary but each each place i went a host would meet me at the railway station or at the airport mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I was normally well looked after they, they really Wanted to do business with the with the West, yeah, or, mm. or, or with the West in general, or with Britain in particular, or with yeah. well, uh, Britain certainly was was uh, they wanted to do business, but I, I think anybody could bring in hard currency, with right? Those music players, okay. Mm. So it began with sticky tape. Let's hear about the evolution of your business in China. Started with assist. <laughs> right. Well, things were things things were a little difficult. I don't want to be disparaging to the Chinese because I've got a lot of very Chinese friends. Yeah. And I think by and large, but as well, some instances, as could be anywhere in the world, we had difficulties. China opened up across from Hong Kong. They opened up the first town they, they allow, uh, allowed to open up to Western uh, business and uh, free of the various restrictions. It's called Shenzhen. Okay. It's just a train ride over from Hong Kong. Uh, it was a fishing village of eight and a half thousand people, uh, maybe in the early late seventies, early eighties. It's now a city of about I think fifteen million people. But with it within a short space of time from when I first went there, only maybe te- seven or eight years after that, I'm sure there was two or three million people from eight and a half thousand. Okay. So it just grew up fantastically. And at that time, and then they, they, they were allowed the agencies, mostly the agencies there, they would find Chinese manufacturers for you and they would negotiate on your behalf. And we used to bring in, we had a contract for the hospitals to bring in 
disposable arms things, like a triangle and a bandage. Sure. You put it on, instead of washing it afterwards, you chuck it away. Made from, from non-woven paper. And that, that company in Shenzhen managed to find a supplier in China and we told them. At that time, they allowed us to do private. They came in with our label. They, they supplied us with a sample and we cut our trial shipment of 10,000 pesos. They sold out. Yeah. Placed another order for 200,000. Remember, we started bringing a container full. Uh, and the price was good and the quality was good. And about the second container that came in, uh, my quality manager came running down to me and he said, these arms things are not up to scratch. I said, what do you mean? They look fine to me. He said, well, instead of 30 grams per square meter, that's the thickness of the fabric. Yeah. Only about 20, taking one third of the weight of that fabric. Okay. It might look the same, but it's a lot thinner. Yeah. And maybe a plaster cast could probably go through it. Right, through. I hear you. Right. So uh, <laughs> we were stuck. We asked them that time, but because of monetary exchange, they, we complained there's no way to get that money recompensed sure. back for us. So uh, we said, well, how we can't do any more business with you. This is going to go to a fantastic business. He said, well, you take several more shipments, and each shipment will give you maybe 20% extra free of charge until you defray the costs of right. the, the duff. Right. And the right, so they found an alternative arrangement. And is it, we wouldn't accept that though. This is this is a very interesting story. Yeah. We said, well, we we we're not happy about it. We, we before we do anything further, we want to visit the factory. Right. So I've come on over. Well, I had to do several businesses there, and I was in Hong Kong. Get the train into Shenzhen, pick you up, take you through various high roads that are fantastic. Then you're going through a little village or in the middle of constructing the roads mm. via a snake uh, farm where we they got me to eat snake meat. But that's a, okay. a big digression. Okay. Uh, and we moved fast forward to arriving at this. Uh, no, I, I've, I've moved too far forward. I'm really sorry. Before that, they met me in Nanjing because the factory is there and they took me to this factory history how we got there with a drunken driver but but uh took me around this beautiful factory and we sat down well are you prepared now to do business with us i said very sorry i said what do you mean i said this factory produced lovely non-woven items they've never produced a surgical dressing in their purpose mm. or in their in yeah. their history yeah and they look at me and say you can't you can't trick me and they told me by the way prior to that not to exchange business cards. They are frightened if you will start dealing directly with the factory. Okay. That, that's what's quite common right. still to this day. So that's, that's the end of the story. So they were crying to me, crying to me, and then I, next time I told you, we went to Shenzhen, he took me to this other factory, and uh, I went up there, and I have to tell you, they were packing these triangular bandages. i tell you how clean it was. They were the same factory were producing wedding gowns for the Chinese, disposable wedding gowns. They mm. were magnificent with flowers, coloured flowers on it, fantastic. Disposable wedding gowns? Yes, made of non-woven paper. Okay. Non-woven paper. God forbid anyone put a match to it. <laughs> Poor bride would be toast in three seconds. But... <laughs> But but you could imagine a, a wedding gown has to be really clean. Yeah. You know, bride doesn't want that. So that's how. But they said, where do you produce the raw materials? And they took us to another factory in the same town, uh, where they had a quite a modern extruder. I don't want to go into the technical parts. So we're satisfied with that, and uh, that business progressed there. Okay. But where I eventually I got involved in manufacturing in China, and that was another. That's moving forward quite a long. Okay, but it must have been a bit of a minefield in terms. Of, I mean, not only have you got the sort of political minefield to sort of navigate, but there's a cultural one as well. I mean, it, it must have been very easy just to commit a faux pas without absolutely. <laughs> I still say to this day, and I've been to China innumerable, innumerable times. I don't know the Chinese culture 100. percent right. Anybody that's not Chinese. Says he that knows 100% yeah. this. Is there a lot of protocol 
there is a lesson now with the young yeah. people coming up and being more mobile and going over to various countries you know, and, American and, edu- and, and getting yeah. educated and what okay. have you. It's just changed, changed a lot. But the older generation things still... Yeah. Uh, well, apparently drinking a cup of tea can be a, can, an entire sort of ritual. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's a, there is quite a lot. I told you about the seating arrangements yeah. uh, and about... You have to try not not to lose faces. So tell us about Guangxi. Uh, uh, Guangxi is, is is the Chinese thing for for entertaining people. A lot of business is done round the table. Either you get people quite merry. It's uh, building up relations with this plenty of food and plenty of so-called gambei with the, okay. the daijo wine. That's known as Guangxi. Okay. And, uh, and then you know you're getting on. It's very important to the Chinese culture to build relations, not only as a, a business, but, uh, but to foster good uh, friendly relations as well. Okay. So, how did you transition from buying supplies from China into manufacturing, and when, when does this take us up to? Well... That took us up to when our business, uh, uh, when I retired from business, and our business closed in 2010. But but back from that, how did we get started? Well, it's quite strange. Um, uh, Hang on a minute, the business closed. You mean young Anthony here didn't want to take up the reins well, of this well, mighty empire? Uh, it was so exciting <laughs> at that time, really, really, really. But there, but there we go. Um, so... Uh, we had a, a woman that used to work for one of the state-owned enterprises, and she used to source bits and pieces for us, like scissors, tweezers, and various different things that go into first aid kits okay. and first aid boxes. She found the factory to produce certain boxes for us, and which was quite handy because her husband was a, a plastic in plastic industry, and he they molded plastic boxes for us as well. Uh, and Jane, she was a very nice lady, and uh, used to get various items from her. And one item we were bringing in from her was um, a very small uh, uh, plastic, rectangular plastic box. And we used to buy various components from China and make it as a promotional product. We would put in various cotton buds, a little bandage, a little band-aid plasters, yeah. and we'd call it a tiny plastic and we used to sell them as a promotional item, and it was quite popular. At that time, we were doing business with a company in England that specialised in uh, alternative medicines. They used to yeah. target the over 55s. With mag- I used to get even their magazines, all sorts of remedies, ginseng and stuff like uh, this. All that. You're yeah. right. And they contacted us. It wasn't through the fact I was buying it. Just they picked a girl that selected. Went through the catalogues and found several first aid manufacturers and uh, invited us to quote for a range of first aid items to put in their catalogue. So within 24 hours, I was sitting behind her at her office and she was flabbergasted. He said, What, what a reaction! He said, I've, I've written to 26 or 27 country companies, yeah. I'm sure I see a few of them, but and, and I I made a pitch for, for the business. Okay. Eventually it came to a, a short list of three and then, got a long story, we were selected. We started supplying, we used to devote two or three pages of that catalogue to a couple of first aid kits and uh, various other bandages and what have you. And one of the, the come on, on the first page of the catalogue was always a free gift item. If you buy over £20, you get this thin something worth yeah. £10, you know, a little photograph of it. So I, I suddenly struck on the idea of a tiny first aid kit. That could be interesting. So I, I sent them a sample. Would you consider that for, for you? Come down to see it immediately. So I went down with my sales manager down to Surbiton and Surrey, I think we were, and uh, they said we ought to do it because it ties so well together with the items inside the cabin. Sure. Build up the profile. We want to run this in February. We want uh, uh, ten, for our comfort, fifteen thousand pieces to be delivered first, and then another fifteen thousand, another twenty thousand. Want ten thousand reserve, and this is the timeline. I said, I'm, I'm so excited. We had to bring in things from China. Yeah. Not only that, this plastic 
molded box, you can only produce so many, it's a finite number you can produce. So we'd have to produce another, at least another one or two plastic molds to be able to achieve that quantity in anywhere near that timeline. So we talk through certain different timelines. They said, if you can't deliver by such and such a date, you're not on. So I said, we'll do it. And hmm. my sales manager looked at me as if I was crazy. Within two days, I was sitting with Jane in Shanghai in China. I said, here's a business for you. Your husband has to start immediately molding these plastic boxes. You have to source all these materials, find a warehouse or a place you can, you can mm -hmm. do them. X, Y, Z, here's the delivery deadline. And it's worth six, about 60 or 1,000 first aid kits. And her eyes nearly popped out of her head. She just, she's on. I said, well, I used to everything up. I'm coming back here in two or three weeks' time yeah. in order to see everything in production. So I come back here and come back again and she takes me into this huge warehouse far bigger than we really needed it. It was in reasonable condition but not what I really like on an ongoing basis. Mm. And she had set up these tables and she had employed people and they were packing, picking one item from here, picking there, wide item from here, picking there. And Clearly they'd never heard of Henry Ford's. Exactly. So I said, this is not, even going, for <laughs> not going to happen. Not only are these poor workers going to have the source, the most painful backs you ever yeah. seen in your life, I'm organizing it. So I made them get onto the, their suppliers, not deliver everything random pack, but deliver them like soldiers so they could handle them much quicker. I made like a human uh, conveyor belt right. uh, with these things going along, and they were going along one, 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 one. And when I left in a week's time, it was going away. Wonderfully. So much so that we fulfilled that contract and then they said we want to run it again in another six or eight months time. Mm -hmm. After they ran it the second time, we said, well, that's it. So I, I told Jane, well, you, you have to let everybody go. And she was really obviously quite disappointed. Mm -hmm. I said, look here, Jane, don't let everybody go. Why don't we start a business together? Doing this family. And that's how it started. I because I'd done this prior to this, I'd done this in India before. I'm used to setting up clean rooms and all the manufacturing requirements, quality requirements. And before you know it, things happened quickly in China. Within two or three months, we had a, a small factory mm. uh, going into okay. China. And eventually, after a few years, our, our, our husband, his plastic business was going extremely well. She wanted out of it. We bought her equity out of the business and we it was a totally owned self okay. factory right how 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 easy or difficult was that to do was there a lot of i mean i'm imagine even then I mean, corruption would be a very serious offense in china but i'm sure it still went on i mean was, was there a lot <laughs> i went through i mean i went through about uh, six or seven general managers right. in a period of 10 years or 12 or 12 years okay and two or three of them been for that particular uh, reason because right. it's endemic in them that right. uh, there's a cutback in, in what, they're, what they're buying. Right. I will tell you uh, detailed stories about some of these. Okay. But uh, yeah, it, it was difficult. Yeah. I think Tam was more meaning in terms of getting government permissions to do businesses and uh, without giving away any sort of details, mm. was it incumbent upon you no to, names, no to, to deliver some envelopes or or <laughs> keep certain people happy in certain ways to get able to do business in China? We never encountered. We, we're really small. Yeah. In terms of big business, we're, we're really small fish. Okay. Um, although I'm sure, I know once or twice when the local tax office visited, the I stayed out of it, but mm. they went away with smiles on their faces. Right. Okay. I, I didn't want to know anything. I hear. Okay, so before we um, hear more about the development of your business in China, I need to do a little segue. Those uh, tiny first aid kits, they, are, they weren't your only innovation in your career. Um, for example, you we, those of us who are at least a little bit older than some people uh, might remember that uh, first aid kits very often you used to see them in little green plastic boxes with yeah. clips 
Whereas nowadays, more often than not, you see them in aluminium casings, very aesthetically pleasing. And if I'm not mistaken, you were actually the first person to design one of these aluminium first aid kits, and then it, then it was copied. Is, uh, is I, 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 absolutely correct. Uh, I I was always wanting to innovate when, 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 when we could, and I, at that time, uh, these plastic uh, rectangular boxes were very popular for cosmetics, um, for their lipsticks and yeah. compacts and what have you. And I thought that, that would make a, an idea for a track. And they also used to do, do them for camera cases, mm. your camera in one compartment yeah. and your and your uh, lenses in another compartment. And yeah, the the spongy bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And they'd be in an alley with him. So yeah. case. And also briefcases. So anyway, so I, my general manager at that particular time, uh, a guy called Mr. White, um, I said to him, can you try and source a factory produce these for us i want a reliable factory and the next time I was in china we hopped on the train went uh, to a, a remote city in china and a, and a small a small i would say a small town a small town in china is like like half a million people so was, i mean small town i mean in terms of in terms of population but was it small or large in terms of area what was I I don't know. I was taken I was taken to the taken to this factory, introduced to the and we discussed. I saw what he was doing for for CD holding CDs. We're doing this for that. Okay. A whole plethora of of products. Described what we wanted: three at the port, one size with compartments, a couple of smaller ones. I said, "I'm not doing business with you unless we get total exclusivity." Right. Now, you have to take these things obviously on trust as best as you can. Yeah. Mm. But I said, if I see one copy, I ain't out. Mm. So much said, like Duncan Valentine. Exactly. <laughs> so said, I, I was personally totally assured by by the factory management. And I, 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 what can you do other than it wasn't an item you could patent because it's been yeah. done. It's only a variation of what's been done. Yeah, uh, you could probably maybe get design. Control very hard to control. Sure. So before this proved to be a very, very popular item. Now the the largest annual trade fair in the world is known as the Canton Fair, not the Guangzhou Fair. It's so large that it's split it now into three different sections. It's open for for maybe ten days and it's mm-hmm. closed for three days and open. Now I I went with Mr White uh, to look for new products at the fair. Um, at, at the section where the, the medical supplies. So I was looking around and he went to look somewhere else. And lo and behold, what do I see? It was two different booths. Aluminium first aid boxes. So I get hold of him and I said, this, these guys have sold us down the river. Right. So, um, so we said, let's think, go over to these places and act as potential customers. Yeah. want to see them. We went over to these places and we examined the boxes. They clearly not come from the same factory. Sure. The quality was nowhere near up right. to our. The clips were horrible. Mm. Yeah, but they looked the same. Right. Green at the front with the word first aid on it. Okay. Uh, so they even copied the design. Yeah, yeah, but it was a poor version of it. But the cat was out the bag. We we went back to the factory. He 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 implored upon us that. He'd never done it, but it's simple in China. Somebody in middle management will yeah. knows a factory nearby or not so nearby that do similar things will will take the sample and say, hey, yeah. I have an idea for you. Okay. And that is corrupt. Right. <laughs> but right. I mean, I guess someone could see it and like it and copy it, but... So would, if I'm giving you free reign to blow your trumpet if you want to expose any other innovations that you had <clears throat> uh, it's hard to say that there were quite a lot of them on the way some smaller some some uh, larger but by uh, the way I mean, how, how did that affect i mean the aluminium cases yeah. i mean how did that affect costs in terms uh, of they, they were they were a premium premium item with us okay they're obviously a more costly but am i not am i right in saying they're quite common now 
Oh yes, they're, 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 they're pretty much very common now. But they do look very beautiful uh, compared to these old green boxes of clips. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to say about about other items. Some of them, you know, sometimes there's more development in the way of of the way we package things and present things to make them look uh, more attractive. Um, we worked on. Uh, I was working latterly before I retired on a. On a very innovative first aid box, which unfortunately I've still got the drawings, it never quite came to okay. fruition. Uh, I'm not going to give to me any secrets in case I want to take it out of the, the, the wood pile. But basically, the Howard Rourke. But without giving um, too much away, if you know a first aid, first aid box, everything is scrambled inside. When you want to get an item urgently, you have to yeah, yeah. Uh, get it. Th- th- this would be in the fascia, a uh, visual, visual fascia, and you would press a button. And a drawer was tied out with the item that you would, you'd, you'd want. Mm. Um, so watch this space. space. Now we've got Rogers first a little kit. under 10 minutes left. So um, I just want to make sure that you get the stories that you're most, most enthusiastic about discussing, about doing business in China, that you'd like to, and, and as we come into the last segment of our show. Yes, well, basically, I, I have to say that, that notwithstanding all the cultural differences, and the fact that a lot of people are, uh, everybody knows about China as a sourcing item, it just still remains today a good place to do business with. I'm still got, as you quite rightly say, I have, um, consult, ongoing consultancy work for various companies that I used to be either suppliers of, of us or people that I was introduced to. So much so that every year in the very largest, um, exhibition and medical supplies that takes place in the world in Dusseldorf in Germany every November. Uh, I arrange with the exhibition organizers to buy uh, floor space which is very hard to get uh, and I invite Chinese and Indian companies, uh, it's open to any company by the way, to take up floor space and I arrange the whole design of an integrated stand Mm. Uh, trying to make sure that the companies are not in, really in direct competition with each More other. More in coalition. About, yeah, exactly. Even though there's maybe slight overlap between yeah. them, uh, so that they 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 uh, they can integrate between custom the customer base. And that uh, the last two or three years, I've handled thirty six square meters of space. This year, in November, I'm handling eighty square meters. Wow, of that's space. a huge. Huge. Uh, it's just a huge jump, and this last year I was wanting to retire from it, but the, 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 my co-exhibitors, the Morris, implored upon me to. to, to keep oh, going, it's good to, to be going. in demand. So, what, I mean, uh, this whole time where you were dealing with mainland China, did you have any dealings with Hong Kong at all? At any oh point? yes, well, we were dealing with Hong Kong prior to right. going into China. We so that would have been help in a that, sense. That, that was a good help, although the culture in Hong Kong, we say to some most people. In, in Hong Kong, certainly the younger people, the, the older people, yeah. uh, are you Chinese? They, they will get a bit upset about, no, I'm a Hong Kong person. Right. The Hong Kong first and Chinese second. Sure. And maybe the younger people, this will change eventually. Yeah. What would you have said the main difference was between dealing with Hong Kong and dealing with mainland well, China? Well, first of all, they all spoke English. Right. They had infrastructure. They, uh, they had the banking system, the exchange system. Uh, the, the hotels and everything's up to, right from the very beginning up to fully international standards. Okay. It was a remark, uh, it was a complete, China, uh, when I first went to China, at that particular time, in the early 80s, Hong Kong was a complete international city while Chinese was, China was backward. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, the amazing thing I think about Hong Kong was it took a very short space of time to transform Hong Kong into this kind of powerhouse of sure. commerce and industry. Well, Hong Kong's remarkable in the in the way that when I first was doing business in Hong Kong, it was a, a manufacturing base. Right. I used to buy uh, that time plastic baby pants. Had people that used to do baby products and they're okay. making Hong Kong for me and factory. But as soon as Hong Kong, so China opened its doors, Hong Kong shifted all the business into the the cheaper manufacturing sure. of China. And within yeah. a period of a few years, China, uh, Hong Kong became a service. 
a service country. People think everyone will lose their jobs. All these Hong Kong exists a very wealthy service economy. Uh, hardly Syria. makes anything. Mm. Uh, the British economist uh, David Ricardo. Have I can't even got his name right. Ricardo. Um, he talked about a comparative advantage and absolute advantage where even if a country such as Hong Kong might be able to do everything better than China, manufacturing and services, they're still better going for the services which they they have the most difference mm-hmm. uh, and their, their benefit and, and both sides can still benefit and that's what I thought of because I'm an economics geek. But can, but, that, can an well, economy gonna, survive long term and just service industry? Oh. Well, that here, wh- why couldn't it, if it's, as long as it's connected to the rest of the world? Right. Singapore's yeah. another example. Yes. I mean, Singapore does have man- a bit of manufacturing. They all have some. But, but, but it's a fair, predominantly banking service. Very, very, very prosperous. I mean, the, the, the standard of living in Singapore is, uh, and also Hong Kong is. I've got one more question because. Um, you you were asking about the difference between doing business in Hong Kong or yeah. China. You you mentioned a few times also doing business in India, um, getting manufacturing from there. Now, while it was not um communist country in that period, it was still under the influence of socialism after uh, the British left. Uh, so what was the difference between trying to do business in India? As compared to China, well, difference. First of all, on the positive side, they all spoke really good English. Yeah. Again, they had the the long tradition of Britain and knowing Western culture. Yeah. A lot, a lot of India, a lot of India wasn't service. quite as social as you mentioned. Yeah. It depends on, on on state to state. I was doing business mostly in the state of Bengal, Calcutta, and that was dominated by the communist dominated. It was very, but I didn't, it didn't really affect me. I was doing business with family businesses. The only difference, I think, where the, where, where it got difficult in India was virtually, uh, was the fact that we weren't prepared to invest. I, my, my colleagues there, they were working with very, very old machinery. No matter, I told them, that, can you innovate here or there? I was running into a brick wall. Right. Whereas I found out that China certainly, when you really, when the motor started running, mm. they saw investment as a way of developing the business. A different yeah. mentality from that point of view. Mm. Kind of long-term, far-seeing sort yeah. of mentality. Well, maybe yeah. probably changed a lot in India now as well, for right. sure. Yes, yeah. especially uh, over the last yeah. 25 years. Yes. In the late 80s, many people said that India was never going to develop and would never yeah. become a developed country. But um, they have seen incredible progress. So that's uh, a wonderful... By embracing the evils of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that thank you. A very lovely history of um, the different ways that business was done and how, how China changed over time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I'd just like to thank you guys for having me along. And, no, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope I... Not only haven't bored you, but haven't bored your wonderful audience. Yeah. Well, we'll let you know. We'll see how the figures, see how the we, viewing figures. We go. certainly, uh, I, I certainly wasn't bored. I may be somewhat biased, but we'll, we'll, we'll soon find out in the in the YouTube comments whether uh, how, how it landed. So I'm a, I'm a, available subject to price as a consultant. Yeah, after dinner speaking. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I've got enough. I, I, I now want to. Enjoy more of my retirement. Enough on his plate in terms of uh, after dinner. After, especially after those snakes and things. Was yeah. there another uh, story you wanted to tell about? Yeah, tell us about this. Yes, tell us uh, about a it. quick story about a dish. We're taking to one of these uh, uh, banquets again. With all By the, dish, you take it. We're talking uh, about yeah. uh, food, not uh, a female. And uh, around this table in Shanghai, various dishes. And suddenly, they brought up a plate in the middle, and things were moving there, and I had to look closer. And I said, what is this? They said, it's drunken, drunken prawns, which means drunken prawns. And they put these live shrimps in, in liquor and they get out, they get, they enjoy what a way to go. But when they're still alive, they start picking them up with the chopsticks and eating them. Okay. And they're, they're looking at me 
and he says it's a very specialty dish. And I'm stuck. You can lose space very easily. Mm. And I said, I have a video camera. Oh, video camera. So I took out my camera. <coughs> I'm filming them all uh, uh, yeah. doing this horrible thing. But they forgot about the fact I wasn't eating it. Uh, and when I showed it back home, my wife thought it was a, a cock. What's that cockroach on the table? And my sister-in-law uh, did, was put off her food for over a week. Wow. <laughs> so you got a more lucky escape than those drunken prawns did. Well, for those of you, those women who are on a diet, uh, please watch the drunken prawns video. It'll put you off your food for a week. You'll lose pounds <laughs> in no time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again once more, Dad, for coming in the show. Uh, and to you at home, uh, be sure to share and tune in next week. Thank you very much.